Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. I always remember I used to work in corporate life and going back about 25 years, we were implementing this system. And everybody's view was once we implemented this system, life would be better. It was gonna make teas and coffees for everybody. It was gonna give everybody sandwiches at lunchtime. The reality is it never does that. From a data perspective, you have to have data and you have to have unsiloed data. You have to have good data. Many adjectives could be added there as well. Your data house has to be in order to do AI well. But I do think there's a real risk of companies kind of choosing a particular AI implementation or solution and then using that as a hammer for whatever they see in front of them. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everybody, no matter where you are. We have a guest on the show. Uh, welcome to Greg Kilstrom. Welcome, Greg. Yeah, looking forward to talking with you both here. Yeah, so Greg joins us from a company called GK5A. He's also a podcaster, so he's going to give us marks out of 10 at the end of this. For our I wasn't aware schools. I'd be graded here, Colin. I, uh, I realized I have something else I have to do. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And one is to change your shirt, mate. I think this is, I don't know if it's entirely appropriate for podcasts. I think Lumberjack Chic is, uh, is back <laughs> in, is it not? Uh, wrong with a good flannel. Greg is uh, an author, a speaker, uh, a consultant, and focuses on customer experience and uh, marketing. But he particularly looks at life from the technology side. Obviously, with AI and everything else that's happening, we thought it was a uh, appropriate to get somebody to come on the show and uh, talk about that. He runs a really good podcast, which if you haven't had a chance to listen to it, I would suggest that you do. It's called the Agile Brand Podcast. And I believe you've even beaten me, Greg, in you've written 11 books, isn't it? There's a few. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, I've, I've only written eight. I'm starting to feel inadequate now. Not like how Yeah, there you go. The conversation that we wanted to have with you, Greg, was we've talked a lot on the show about the change that we're seeing happening in customer experience and the fact that, in my view, a lot of the next competitive battleground is going to be in the arena of providing a proactive experience. Okay, We hear a lot of predictive analytics and all that type of stuff. That's what we're going to hopefully talk a bit about today. But maybe I could just start off by getting your a sense from you from a sort of a, a global position of where do you think organizations are with uh, the introduction of AI and technology? And, you know, what are some of the common issues that you're seeing around? Sure, sure. And I'll, I'll kind of relegate my answers to the marketing and customer experience realm because there's, you know, it does a, there's a lot. There's a lot in a lot of areas, but to kind of focus on those, uh, you know, I think that there's a lot of talk about it. We can't, you can't escape 
someone mentioning chat GPT on a daily basis and, and things like that. But, you know, when it really comes down to implementing those all other things. So, you know, I think every organization is looking at how AI is going to make sense. Many have made some, I would say, fairly big statements on they're going to adopt it and it may affect the workforce because a lot of the work, you know, depending on the stats you look at, between 30 and 50% of some people's jobs are repetitive tasks that could be replaced by by AI, things like that. So that's on the, the internal focus. On the external, the customer expectations, even very, very large brands are having a hard time meeting the expectation of whether it's next day delivery from an e-commerce platform to I just want everything personalized and I want a brand to know who I am, what I did five minutes ago when I talked to your customer service rep. I want the website to understand that and the mobile app to do the same. And I don't want to get an email advertising a product that I just bought yesterday. And consumers are continually channel switching and 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 they're frustrated in this. And so brands are looking at how do we use AI to predict what a customer is going to want? How do we use AI to generate hyper-personalized content, whether it's images or text? And also, how do we use AI to just automate things that people don't need to do and they should focus on on other things? So all that to say, there's a lot of talk, there's a lot of exploration. There's not a lot of implementation at the moment. There's some organizations that are a little further ahead, but it doesn't necessarily mean if you're a Fortune 50 company, you, you're doing this. It kind of just depends on where you are in that maturity scale. And, and it's a wide range. I work with a lot of very large organizations and some are, I'm impressed at how far along they are. Some are really lagging behind and, and they know it. I always remember I used to work in corporate life and going back about 25 years, we were implementing this system. And everybody's view was once we implemented this system, life would be better. It was going to make teas and coffees for everybody. It was going to give everybody sandwiches at lunchtime. The reality is it never does that. So it makes me wonder where, what level of readiness do you think these organizations are for this type of thinking? Because there's a difference. And I guess the point I'm trying to get to is there's a difference between the, the thought process and the actual implementation and really what it will produce. And the danger is, is people's thoughts of what it's going to do and what it actually does can be very different. Before you answer that, Greg, uh, like I want to I want to take Colin's question and, and kind of get a little bit more specific on it, because you mentioned a, a few things in your answer that maybe people out there in the universe are just are kind of understand this better than than I do or. I suspect not, though. I, I suspect that there are a lot of people who are talking about AI and kind of using AI as a linguistic substitute for magic wand. Like, oh, AI can do Wingardium Leviosa. Like, it can do anything. You, you mentioned three specific usages of AI. I want to slow us down and, and talk through each of those, because I do think that would be very useful for people to understand. Like, there's different, again, as I understand it, there's different types of AI, and they can be used for different types of tasks. And I think focusing our thinking around these different specific types of tools might be really helpful as people try to chart where this is going. So the three things I heard you say, and correct me if I'm wrong, there's 
generative AI. So this is stuff like ChatGPT, and I forget the the popular one that makes images, but uh, like Dolly, Magic Dolly, or yeah, yeah. So there, there's AI that can be used to generate stuff, to write essays for you, or to write ad copy, or to generate images. There's also maybe predictive AIs. This, this, as I understand it, it would be like kind of taking big data and kind of modeling it out in really sophisticated ways to better predict than our old statistical models. And then the third one that I heard you mention was automation, um, which is taking routine tasks. And have I adequately summarized those? Is there anything you want to add to those? Am I missing any? So I would add one to it, and it's kind of a it's it's related to predictive, but I I separate personalized customer journeys as its own category. So I, I wrote a I wrote a book recently on AI and, and marketing, and just you know the three categories you mentioned are exactly as as they are. But you know I added the personalized customer journeys, and, and perhaps relevant to this discussion too, just because it can pull in a lot of those elements, but. I think it's something that organizations need to focus on more for reasons already discussed and probably to be discussed. <laughs> so. so let me channel you back then to Colin's question. Thank you. That was very helpful. Back to Colin's question. How well are organizations currently prepared to cope with these four different types of AI? And then who's doing it well? Have you seen, you don't need to name anybody, but how are people using it poorly in, in your experience? Where, where are we going? I'll try to take them in order there. So I think generative AI is getting all the oxygen right now. And so, you know, everybody, and there's some really cool stuff. I mean, you know, there's the chat GPTs and, and BARD and MidJourney and, and all those things. But there are also a li- what I would call a little more practical implementations of, you know, Adobe came out with, I know it's in beta still, but a Photoshop, like, shameless plug for adobe but like it's amazing to type into photoshop like take this background out and put something else in like i mean i was using photoshop in 1.0 days before they had layers and all this stuff someone out there probably knows what i'm talking about but to see this evolution is amazing and it's a it's an actual practical application that doesn't replace a person but it makes a person do their work better and so but that said, there's a lot of issues there with intellectual property, with all kinds of other things that people need to be really careful of. And people at large brands, I forget the name and I might not have mentioned it anyway, but someone entered some code into chat GPT from, I think, a very large consumer brand a month ago or so. And so chat GPT now has this organization's code in it, because unless you tell it not store it, it does. There's some real issues at stake here. So that said, again, it's getting all the attention in some ways, rightfully so, but but I, I don't think companies are using it at scale right now. They're using it very carefully, testing and, and stuff like that. On the predictive side, to some degree, companies have been using this for a lot. Any any organization that's, you know, done a propensity model or a trend prediction or, or anything like that, I mean the other thing here is that AI has been around for 30 plus years in name and in practice before that. So anytime you do if this, then that, any kind of algorithm, any kind of anything, that's AI. So broadly speaking, you know, organizations have been using this stuff for a long time, but real like the predictive analytics, even 
some simpler things than like, you know, Google Analytics or, or other things like that, you know, the, it's a little more recent, but, you know, real like predictive analytics, the exciting part is when you tie that into, okay, let me make a decision to show one thing, not the other to a customer or to make operational decisions or things like that. I would say there's good adoption of, of some of that simply because again, the prediction, any company of any size has to predict something at some point. So there's some adoption there. The newer version of that, I, I would say there's okay adoption of it. So the the task automation, the you know workflow automation, that's probably the oldest of all of them in real use within organization. Any company that does, has project management software that routes a task from one party to another, again, very simple implementation of AI, but it's technically AI. So, you know, that stuff's been around for decades, really, as much as software has helped organizations run, you know, the internal operations. Where it's getting more exciting is mixing prediction with automation and mixing generative AI with automation, because then all of a sudden I'm tasked with writing a bunch of content, but here's an automated system that supplies me with something that I can edit as a human. You know, we want somebody to review it, but it started already. It's like 80% of the way there. I'm using what humans do best, which is strategy and just sort of abstract thinking to make it as good as it can be, and then passing it on to another automated process. And then last, the fourth category, just that personalized customer journey. I think it it doubles down on all of the above of let's automate what we show when, where, how to customers. Let's automate the internal processes. Let's generate personalized content to that customer along the way based on where they are, what's going on with them, all of that. Companies are, the, I think we're in early days of doing that well. There are customer journey orchestration platforms that do this and that I've worked with them for years, but not a lot of companies are using them broadly. They're using them for specific areas of the business. There's marketing automation has been around for a while. So, you know, you buy something or you abandon your cart and you get an email follow-up. Like that's very simple automation, but you know, that's been around for a while, but that stuff is getting more sophisticated and aware of what's going on on different channels or even at brick and mortar stores versus online and stuff too. So I'd say, you know, that's getting there, but it's still, it's, it's, I would say it's early days with that. So I know that was a lot. No, that was, that was very helpful. I mean, the, the couple of things I, I would pull out of, of what you said, I think that your, your insight and, and again, correct me if I'm mischaracterizing you, uh, several of these types of AI improvements are incremental. They may be large increments, but we've always had, you know, as long as we've had statistics, we've had predictive analytics, you know, that's kind of what a regression model is that you learned in ninth grade, but it's like better now and that can pull in more data. And the generative AI is maybe partly sucking up the oxygen, I think in part because it's user-friendly, anybody can get on there and, and do it. But then also that feels like a qualitative shift to me. Like this is something that is very new and we couldn't approximate it before. And so that's kind of new and exciting. But all the rest of these are are improvements on stuff that we were already doing. Is that kind of characterized appropriately? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And there's also there's there's lots of sort of intersecting trends here. And so right. yeah. you know, I this concept of self-service and from a customer perspective and a concept of the citizen developer, low code, no code, whatever you want to call it, of 
I'm not a software engineer. I mean, in my day, I've written a, a few lines of code here and there, but I'm not an engineer. But me, as a non-technical person, I can go in and basically create an application by dragging and dropping things. So you know, so you've got the internal teams now able to make their own software, and you've got customers able to do very complex actions as a customer that used to take talking to five people on a phone tree and so on and so forth. Yeah, I love that. How many organizations then would you say are looking at AI from through the lens of cost saving or through the lens of improving the experience? Yeah, I mean, so with the kinds of companies that I work primarily in like the Fortune 1000 space, so I would say I might be a little bit off on this. I would say all of them are. I don't think there is a company that isn't at least curious about this. And I would say most of them are doing something about it, even if it's a proof of concept or or a test, but they are all looking at this. When you say looking at it, so for me, there's, and, and it could the answer could be both, by the way. For me, you've got one part of it, which is we can use it to reduce our costs because we can automate the tasks and everything else. And there's another part of it, which is, and we can provide a more personalized customer experience or an improved customer experience. I guess and let me explain my bias, I worry that traditionally most organizations would put more energy into reducing the costs than they would do on improving the experience. And I guess I'm interested in your thoughts on that. Yeah, well, and I think there's a win-win in that if customers can do more self-service and get what they need and they can, you can expand share of wallet because you understand the customer better, you're making more money from the customer. You're potentially saving money because they're not tying up phone lines and and doing all that stuff if they're able to self-serve. So I think definitely agree that I think more more effort right now is being put on cost savings simply because of the economic climate and you know maybe we're getting out of inflation and all that stuff, but we're still there. So there's a lot of focus on cost savings. And there's also been some big announcements of companies that aren't going to rehire the thousands of comp- of, of employees that they laid off because they, they said the, the quiet part out loud, like they said, because of AI. And, you know, this is what we all as humans fear is that the, the robots are going to take our jobs. But it's, I'm an optimist when it comes to this stuff for the most part, but it is happening. And so I think to your point, I think more companies are looking at it from cost savings, but I think the smart ones are trying to do both and they're trying to get more revenue, better lifetime value. They're moving to subscription models as well. And, you know, the self-service stuff I mentioned that, you know, so they're, they're kind of wrapping all that up in how do we do this? The only way to do it at scale is using AI tools and probably a combination of all four. Sure. Here is Anna talking on the show. Hi, Colin and Ryan. I'm in a pickle. How do you operationalize your journey mapping? We don't want CX to become some fluffy thing that is not practical enough. Therefore, we want practical steps on how to get started the right way. Thank you. Anna's pickle was wonderful. Would you like to appear on the show just like Anna did? If you want to record your pickle, go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash pickle and look for the big red record button. We'd love to hear from you too.
Going back to the original original conversation we were having, how much of that is based around the goal of trying to provide a proactive experience? I mean, are, are people sort of talking about, well, we need to provide a proactive experience, therefore we need the technology to, you know, the, or the technology enables us to do that? Or is that just pie in the, pie in the sky stuff? No, I, I think they are. I, I mean, again, not not all not all organizations, but I think the 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 more sophisticated and the more forward thinking ones are because they see again customer expectations being I, you know, I can I can go to this other company and get what I need where I want it, and if I have my smartphone in front of me, I'll use that, or if I'm in front of my laptop, or if I want to walk in the store, I, I get it that way, and so I think they're seeing that there's actual revenue opportunity, and there's also risk mitigation to, you know, the, the things that the CFOs care about is like, there is an actual cost to not doing it at this point, because it's so easy for customers to switch everything's subscription model. So it just cancel one and start another one. So it's like, there's gotta be a compelling reason to keep people, you know, I saw a statistic the other day where the experience that customers have is as important to like a majority of customers as the product and service itself, you know, that like just. I mean, I've seen that a million times in the last month or so. So it's like I glanced over it. But the first time I saw it, it's like, that's really something to note. And I don't know if I feel the same way, but it's, you know, it's it's certainly, it means something, right? Yeah, no, no, I agree. I, I, I think it's just, you must have heard of the American Customer Satisfaction Index. And we had somebody on the show a couple of um, couple of months ago talking about the results we we typically have one every couple of times a year you know we know that customer sat in the states is a 17 year low which i find ironic given all of the attention and everything else that's sort of been plugged on it so again it just speaks to the the difference between lots of organizations going we need to improve our customer experience and the implementation of whether they're actually sort of capable. So having said that, let me get back to my my other question, which we didn't cover, which is, so I'm trying to draw this sort of distinction between the, yes, we've got AI, it's going to be wonderful, and we've, you know, it's going to be brilliant, and tomorrow's going to be brilliant, but this is where we are, and this is what we need to be putting in place. Sorry, Ryan, I'm getting very practical on you, mate. You Sorry, know, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll draw us back out into theory in a little while. Absolutely. So, you know, this is the future, but this is where we are. So what, 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 what's your view on the state of readiness of organizations today? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're definitely, you know, there's the Gartner hype cycle. There's the shiny object syndrome, like whatever you want to call Like we're definitely there with, with AI. And, but unlike some other recent fads and, and things like that, AI is not going away. I mean, again, it's been here for decades. It's not going away. How extensively it's used and how much generative is used versus another, you know, that that's that could be up for, for debate. I think there are definitely some things that organizations need to have in place that they don't often have in place. And even very large organizations, sometimes being bigger makes it more difficult. From a data perspective, you have to have data and you have to have unsiloed data. You have to have good data. Many adjectives could be added there as well. Your data house has to be in order to do AI well. And that is, again, the larger you are, it's almost the worse 
it can be because you're spread out geographically and divisions and products, so on and so forth. So like that is the, the organizations that I work with that are trying to get ahead and, and catch up in some cases and, and, and all that, they are focusing on how do we get our, our data, you know, our data house in order. And, and then, you know, I think the other part of this is, you know, you mentioned, which I've heard many times as well is, you know, when, when we get this platform, when we get the software, then, you know, then we can really start working or whatever, you know, it's, it's people process platform, right. And that's like the platform is always thought of as like the thing that's going to solve all our problems, but the people's people in the processes are what either stands in the way or actually makes them successful depending on, or somewhere in between often. But, you know, that's, those, those are the sticking points. And I think that's another thing that I do with organizations is, you know, I've got to know the technology. Like I have to be able to talk tech to technology as well as marketing and CX people. I work on the process stuff and make sure that the people become okay with the process because it takes changes. You know, when we're talking about, you know, to go to the personalized customer journey aspect alone, you've got departments that don't talk with each other that are almost incentivized to keep people on their, in their little fiefdom or whatever. And now all of a sudden you've got to say, well, you know what? Everybody needs to work together and it's really what the customer needs wherever they happen to be. And, and all those kinds of, it's a huge like mental shift. And then it's also a learning curve of like, how do we think about things more broadly in a customer has this entire life cycle as opposed to my job is to send emails and get people to buy a product and that's all I do every day. Like that's a big shift for for teams that are that are just kind of ingrained and incentivized and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and it, it sort of worries me and let me test another theory out with you. It worries me that organizations are going to implement their system strategy and I hope this isn't the case, but or AI solutions based upon the silos as opposed to across the whole customer journey. I was speaking about this on a webinar the other day. If you go back to when the the internet was first found, amount of corporates I went into, every bloody department had their own internet with their own image and everything else. And then they spent the next five years bringing it all together so it would provide one unite. And it took forever to do. And I'm thinking, I lay your money, this is going to happen with AI. Am, am, I, am I right? Or? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a, I think, the, so there's two ways to look at that. I mean, one is to do it intentionally, roll AI out across platforms or teams or divisions or, you know, however, however you look at that and be intentional about it to say, you know what? Right now, it's too much to break down silos and, and unify everything, but we're going to do it one channel or one team at a time. It's another to do, I think what you're what you're inferring as well, is to not do it intentionally and to everybody go in their own direction. And then you've got, there's the organizations that have like five instances of Salesforce or Adobe or whatever, not even on the same one, just using a different, like, there are separate licenses for these multi-million dollar products and people, you know, just using them completely differently and all that. So you have the same, you know, you run the same risk. And and that is not to say that that's not happening probably in a, in a lot of orgs right now, because everybody wants to be, there's also this, like, you know, everybody wants to be first. They want to be like, oh, well, we're going to use AI well in this org. And then everybody's going to do what we do. But there's like five other teams that 
have that same thought process and one hand doesn't talk to the other. So I do, I, that is a fear, I think that, and a very real, you know, that's a very real possibility unless there's someone kind of orchestrating that from a process, you know, an organizational standpoint. Yeah. And, and that's where for me, it's like the, some of the behind the question about the state of readiness, because it, it depends on how you look at the customer experience. So if you are a VP or of customer experience, you are looking across the organization. By definition, this is an opportunity for you to bring all of that up together and to, to unify in one big, one big AI. But the other side it follows as well, which is if you're a decentralized corporate where everybody's allowed to make their own bloody minds up on everything, you can guarantee it's going to be that everyone's going to have their own way of doing it. And some people are going to use it for headcount reduction and some people are going to use it for this and they're not going to talk to each other and all hell breaks loose. Well, Mac, it's, you know, it's, I mean, dangerous is probably too strong a word in most cases, but, you know, it does get dangerous because, you know, we are talking about training like machine learning models on sets of data and, you know, they get, you know, bias in, in AI is a very real, very big challenge and and problem even if it's not ethically an issue it's still you know if you're if you have all these siloed ai models looking at things they're looking at one piece of the picture and then you start unifying these things and you've got all these parts of the picture that don't really like you've it's kind of a wasted investment let, let alone the potential ethical implications if it's done wrong but even if it's done right <laughs> but it's siloed you kind of lose you lose the, the value of the investment because it's not looking broadly at, at what customers actually want and need across channels, products, and stuff yeah. like that. I tell you the, the good thing, mate. Do you want to hear about the good thing? What <laughs> it keeps you it keeps you in a job. How about that? <laughs> no, because people yeah. need, <laughs> people need to use your services. It'll be the only one not replaced by AI <laughs> at the end of all this. Right. Uh, Greg, let, let me ask you a, a practical question. Not because I care, but just because I want to shame Colin. <laughs> Colin is, is very much a tech enthusiast. I'm a little bit more cynical about this stuff. I look at recent history in business and see a lot of this shiny object syndrome where what was the latest one? Um, blockchain. People were so excited about blockchain and blockchain was about everything. And it turned out to be a, a very narrow solution for a very, very small set of problems. Now, I don't think AI is that, right? I, I think AI is, is tremendously flexible. We, we already mentioned there's at least four different flavors of it. They can then interact. So there's now lots of, of things. So I don't, I don't think it's that. But I do think there's a real risk of companies kind of choosing a particular AI implementation or solution and then using that as a hammer for whatever they see in front of them. So what advice would you give to firms who want to avoid blockchaining AI and um, kind of forcing a solution that, that looks shiny onto the wrong set of problems or over-investing in something that uh, is going to end up not being? Like, what's your big two, three, four bits of advice for how to do this right as this monumental change is coming upon all of us? Yeah, yeah, and uh, if you don't mind, I might revise the the premise just slightly. And so, sure, um, that'd be great. Yeah, I'm not a blockchain expert by any means, but I I would liken it more to 
I may offend someone out there listening, but I would liken it to the relationship between that's kind of our role. But yeah, if you want to offend somebody, that's fine. I'm sorry, too. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, you'll get hate mail on my behalf. But um, okay, it, it's more the relationship between cryptocurrency and blockchain than it is blockchain itself. Like blockchain is just technology, and it does it actually does what it does pretty well. Going all in on Bitcoin or Dogecoin or, or whatever, like that's a slippery slope and many have made millions maybe and, and virtually and, and actually, but to me, that's where, you know, again, I chat GPT is very cool, but it's like when I hear people get too excited about a tool that's built on AI, which AI is, a, is broader than most technologies that we even talk about. And so I think maybe that's the first, the first piece of advice is, let's be specific about, you know, it's not just let's do AI, like, you know, let's build an intranet or a website or whatever. It's like, okay, let, what, what are the problems that we actually want to solve? And chances are, there's a lot of ways that AI might be able to solve that. But, you know, let's, let's first focus on one of the things, again, that humans don't do well or don't want to do. Sometimes it's both, but we're not good at repetitive tasks. We're not good at error checking large volumes of data. We're not good at making relationships within large volumes of data. If any of those things are a problem in your organization or you could do your job better if you had help with that, then think about, okay, well, how could AI help us? Like to me, that's that's really the the first step. And instead of we have a you know a solution in search of a problem, which is off I think what you're touching on here is like, okay, well uh, you know, because I've heard other organizations be like, well, we've heard about these chat GPT. What do we do with it? You know, we it's don't like, want to be left behind. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, I would definitely start there. I, you know, I think to go back to the data, the data point, I think you've got to figure out how are you storing customer data? You know, how do you have access to different siloed sets of data? That, that would definitely be a number two. I would look at teams maybe as a number three as far as are your teams talking with one another? Do Does everyone have only a, a small piece of a window into the customer's life and expectations and all those kinds of things? Like start breaking those things down. I mean, any organization that's at least looked at customer experience, I think at least has a head start because they've They've tried to do a journey map and tried to map, you know, what they're seeing and feeling and, and all that kind of stuff. You know, the last thing I would say would be it's okay to start small. And in fact, it's preferable to start small. You don't want to get it, you know, these digital transformation projects that last three years and have a 20% success rate. The reason why they have such a low success rate is that they set these big goals years out and see no progress incrementally. Start small, even if it rolls out with one siloed team, do it, but do it intentionally and intentionally to roll it out across across teams and, you know, find the wins. And maybe your first guess is wrong. But to me, I'm a very huge proponent of agile principles and, and, and approaches. And so to me, there is no such thing as failure if you learn. So, you know, you got to start somewhere. Sure. Yeah, no, and I think I think that's a good way of looking at it. Any other advice that you would you would give, Greg? You know, if somebody's listening to this, they're having conversations internally in the organization. Are they? Is that the main pieces of advice that you would give? Yeah, I mean, I think maybe one related to like CX measurement. I think we we circled around this a little bit. Is one of the benefits of being proactive 
since we're talking about, you know, proactive customer experience, there is the, which I'm sure listeners are familiar with leading versus lagging indicators. And to me, the exciting, I come from a marketing background and then I got into CX. So I come a little more from, you know, new customer acquisition and, and all those kinds of things. And a lot of CX measurement from my view, and again, from, you know, looking at it from my, my background appears to be built on lagging indicators like surveys and, and all those things which are incredibly valuable when done well. And when, you know, the measurements are, are done well, but we have a huge opportunity with not only, you know, AI based tools, but other things to get those leading indicators that help us because we've got to accelerate how we deliver customer experiences. So to marry the leading with the lagging indicators in a more meaningful way to me is really exciting. And I think it provides a lot of opportunity. Sure. That's very good. Yeah. And uh, funny enough, uh, Ryan and I were talking about proactive measures, which is a we need to have a separate conversation about. Uh, so we invite you back on the show and talk about that. Ryan, any last thoughts from you? I'm just going to steal some of uh, the things Greg said recently and, and pretend they're my own. I think it was great advice. I mean, it, a lot of the advice is practical advice for anything you want to do, but I think it's especially good to reapply it as we're thinking about AI, like focus on the problems you want to solve instead of the shiny solutions that are available to us. Know what those solutions do well. Greg listed off several things that AI does very well. Are those the problems that you're trying to solve? If they are, this might be great. If you've got a different set of problems, you might be using the wrong tool to try to solve them. Um, you know, Look for small wins. I think all of those are great advice. This can feel like a very, very big topic for businesses that are trying to implement it. I think carving off small parts of this and trying to get real practical with what you're trying to do is just a really, really solid advice. So I will encourage people to do that and pretend that I came up with it. <laughs> and the only other thing I would add to all of this is, for, for me, I was I was talking to somebody the other day, and it's a bit like the, um, it reminded me of the stories of the tortoise and the hare, mm. with all the, you know, all the organizations being hare running around, doing the stuff, implementing shiny new object. But actually, you got to take a step back. And one of the questions I would I would be asking, which is my usual question, is what's the experience that you're trying to deliver? So if we were to now look forward and we so now we've got all this technology of what we can do, what actually is the experience that we're trying to deliver? And therefore, how can this enable us to do that? And I, I worry that too many organizations run around just doing stuff rather than uh, uh, than anything else. So, Greg, I'm sure people will want to listen to the podcast and uh, your the Agile brand. What was your book? It was The House of Customers, wasn't it? House of the Last Customer. One? House yeah. of the Customer. So where can people get hold of you if they want to get hold of you? Two places. I mean, first, you know, I'm very active on LinkedIn. I encourage listeners to connect with me there. And then my website, you can get access to the podcast, to books, all, all of that kind of stuff. It's just gregkillstrom.com. Yeah, we'd love to love to get feedback. Do you want to spell Kilstrom for our non-Swedish listeners? <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah, I'll, I'll yeah. <laughs> It's a K-I-H-L-S-T-R-O-M. Perfect. We'll obviously put everything in the in the show notes as uh, links in the show notes as well. So, Greg, thanks very much for coming on, mate. Thanks, been, Greg. That was um, a lot of fun. Uh, really interesting conversation. Yeah, thanks, thanks so much for having me. Cheers. 
Thanks very much for listening to the show today. We really hope you've enjoyed it. And if you have, it would be really great if you could leave us a review. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer. Intuitive Customer.